Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at why familiar or well-known companies are often the most popular investments and whether trusting your gut is a sound investment strategy. With Miles Sherry, Senior Investment Consultant, Maya Welford, Behavioural Finance Specialist, and Jean-Paul Yeagers, Head of Asset Allocation. If you are new to investing, want to learn more about investing, or want tips on how to manage your long-term financial plans, check out our sister podcast channel, Money Plan, available on Apple, Spotify and SoundCloud. Hello and welcome back to this latest edition of Word on the Street. We're going to focus the discussion today around whether familiarity breeds complacency when it comes to our investments and how perhaps just investing in what is familiar to us and therefore what ultimately feels more comfortable might actually affect your investment outcome. So who better to run through all of this and more than Maya Welford, who is back with us from our behavioural finance team, and also JP Yeagers, our head of asset allocation. So JP, before we delve into the topic at hand, it was frankly another week of wild swings across financial markets. So what are you and the team seeing at the moment? Yeah, hi, Miles. So indeed, it has been another week of, uh, yeah, as you say, very wild swings in financial markets. Uh, and actually, if you look at it, it was it was very hard to find a place for investors to hide. We see that stock markets have been down. We see that corporate credit is down, oil prices down. And actually, if you look at the data coming out, economic data, it has been little shocking news, except for US inflation, which again, came out uh, firmer as expected. Yeah. And that rattled markets again, in the expectation that the Federal Reserve needs to go a little bit faster. What we see so far year to date is that equity markets have been down quite sizably uh, as investors face a very complicated mix of elevated inflation, causing central banks to lift policy rates. And at the same time, we see China COVID policy and the war in Ukraine actually prolonging the supplies side bottlenecks and therefore continuing to push up consumer prices. Uh, th- th- that's probably in a minute. We will probably talk about diversification because as, as if anything, I think this year has been a very good uh, reminder to spread your risk quite broadly in portfolios when investing for the longer term. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's a good recap on the week just gone, I suppose. But if you do want more detail, have a look at the monthly market insights with Phil and Will, where they kind of reviewed last month in a bit more detail. But Maya, turning to you, thanks again for joining us today. It's always great to hear about markets, but equally it's important to remember that sometimes how we actually react to them may have a big impact on potential investment returns. So when we think about this idea of familiarity, what are we actually really talking about? Yeah, definitely. Hi, Miles. Hi, everyone. And thanks for having me back on the podcast. So to bring the phrase better the devil, you know, to life, it's usually easier to deal with a difficult situation or a person that you know, rather than an unknown alternative, which could actually be worse. So this phrase has familiarity bias at its core. And it's all about the tendency towards the familiar. So essentially, it helps us to feel more comfortable and more certain. Generally, people don't like feeling uncomfortable and uncertain, so we naturally want to avoid situations that make us feel like this. 
This phenomenon might show up when investments are made in well-known companies, such as large household names like Tesco. Obviously, that's not investment advice. Or when there's a preference for local investments over international ones. And this bit is known specifically as the home bias. This isn't actually hearsay either. There have been numerous academic studies into these biases. To provide you with an example, individual investors in South Africa were, show, were shown a series of familiar and unfamiliar companies. And they were actually more likely to prefer investing in those companies they were familiar with. And just reflecting on JP's update and how investors might be particularly experiencing uncertainty at the moment, being drawn to the familiar provides comfort during times of uncertainty. So at times like this, it could be more of an issue. Got you. And look, it's it's obviously sensible to invest in companies one knows about from a financial perspective. Of course it is. That makes sense. But when might we see negative impacts resulting from the familiarity bias? I should probably add, I expect you're going to reference some names here. And um, as ever, it should be noted that these are purely for the, for, you know, to bring the discussion to life and should be not be taken as a recommendation to, to buy or sell the shares. Absolutely, Miles, that's right. So while it's obviously wise to invest in companies you're comfortable or confident in from a financial perspective, Negative impacts of this familiarity phenomenon arise when feelings of certainty are invoked by factors other than the financials. And then these feelings are then translated as meaning that it will be a good financial investment. For example, if you feel really familiar with Netflix because you might watch shows on there, but don't actually know anything about their financials, it might not be the best investment out there. Obviously, I use Netflix purely as an example and in light of their recent fall in share price to demonstrate that financially, investors might be better off investing elsewhere, even though Netflix is obviously a very well-known brand. And as I said, it can't be taken as investment advice. An investment which makes us feel emotionally comfortable doesn't automatically make it a wise financial decision. And this can actually be easy to figure out when we think about things like our gut reaction. I know that when we make decisions, sometimes we actually choose just to listen to our gut. And I, I definitely hear people say to me, listen to your gut, Maya. But as behavioral finance tells us, it's obviously not always for the best. So the negative impacts could show up in situations where clients have investments they manage beyond their Barclays portfolio. And to put this in issue into more context, around a third of our clients have opportunistic holdings outside their Barclays portfolio. So for example, they might own shares in the company they work for. While this might come at preferential rates, we only need to think back to Lehman Brothers to realize that holding a large amount of shares in our employer might not always be the best decision for our financial outcomes. And another example is investments inherited from family. Um, these sorts of investments are often held because their familiarity makes them feel less risky and makes it feel like a good investment, but rather than them actually feeling like they're the best decision financially. And I guess there might be a feeling of sentiment attached to that. As yeah, well. exactly, exactly. So these positions can be inefficient. They can impact the overall risk and return of one's investments as a whole. And ultimately, they could impact the chance of meeting financial goals. So some really good background there, Maya. But JP, you can understand really why it's tempting for novice investors or, you know, more simply just beginners to limit their investments to companies that they are very familiar with. Now, you, of course, oversee our asset allocation team here at Barclays. So what could this mean for an investor's asset allocation and, and what are the risks associated with that? Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And, and, and actually, 
reflecting on this, I think I can, I can make a couple of points here. So first of all is every investor has an asset allocation, whether you think in those terms or not, but if you would hold a large proportion in stock markets or even in cash, that's your asset allocation. Then the second point is actually there are very few risk reducing options in the investment landscape. So if you think about potential insurance in your portfolio or would like to have some more safe havens, so those are the assets that tend to do well in times of panic, typically you need to pay a premium for that. While diversification, and, and that's in essence mixing and matching different assets together and spreading your risk, is actually one of the ways of how you could improve your risk return profile of a portfolio while not giving up any premium. As an investor, especially if you invest for the longer term, you probably want to capture a risk premium, so like in equities or in credit, and as much as possible try to reduce the specific noise or specific risk with uh, individual companies. Because here is incredibly hard to outsmart the collective investor universe. It's essentially, we're saying everything we all expect in aggregate is currently reflecting in asset prices. So all the new price change needs to come from new information. Well, and here we unfortunately don't have the crystal ball. And lastly, probably I, I would mention is that if we look and try to peer into the future, there are a lot of counterfactual conditions here as well. So in some sense, if you invest for the long run, you have to prepare for many potential futures. We think that the best way to achieve that is to spread your risk across different geographies, but also across sufficient assets to create a portfolio that is able to withstand a lot of different events that will unfold in the future. And there we also have a good example that it, with the familiarity, just reflecting on what Maya mentioned, is that instead of holding everything in stocks, you could, for example, look into commodities or alternatives where probably most people are less familiar with. But yeah. those might give you some valuable returns in time when your favorites or the familiar stocks tumble. Yeah, and look, again, credit to you and my team in terms of making that long-term change in most of our portfolios and funds just over a, a year ago. And as you say, it's a very good example of, of thinking about that sort of thing. But but Maya also mentioned that a client's having concentrated holdings beyond just say their Barclays managed portfolio or funds might hinder progress towards their financial goals. Now, even if the investment does not feel maybe that significant in size, it can ultimately still have a an, an overall impact, can't it? Yes, you're right, Miles. So in, in a sense, every investment clients or we, you and I may have at different places. In some sense, you should aggregate it and view that as your aggregate investment exposure. As of course, Maya alluded to, so that there are cases where people out of employment or other situations have a concentration in options or stocks. But if you think about it, about your future wealth or pension, one has to aggregate these investments and hopefully arrive at a diversified portfolio that is robust that you can hold over longer periods of time. Okay, so Maya, bringing you back in, this tendency towards the familiar does feel natural and automatic as we've discussed, it, it all makes sense. But how else might this actually show up? Because trying to avoid it, presumably, in some respects, adds to diversification. That's something JP's just alluded to. But I guess thinking more broadly, it could maybe also lead to other return drivers too, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. So I, I did want to mention something linked to the familiarity bias, something called the home bias. This is where local investments are preferred over global ones. For example, choosing to buy shares or a fund based in the UK rather than ones which are overseas. If we think about UK-based investors, they tend to hold more weight in UK investments than in global ones. We do see this in Smart Investor and industry research finds the same phenomenon. But also, it's not just in UK investors. 
Morningstar actually reported back in 2016 that the home bias is stronger in American, Canadian, Australian and Japanese investors. This home bias issue is, is very much a global one. I do want to flag, though, that all this talk and therefore increased awareness of the home bias might actually be reducing it in the longer term. For example, thinking about UK clients, the Investment Association reported between 2010 and 2020 actually a fall in the proportion of UK equities and a growth in international ones. But saying this, given that the UK represents such a small proportion of the global stock market, we're still seeing UK-based investors perhaps over-investing in the UK. It's understandable that investors might feel nervous about investing in foreign markets, though. So if we use the invasion of Ukraine as an example, if an investor already believes that owning local or familiar stocks is better than less familiar investments, world geopolitical events like war might actually cement views even further. But thinking back to diversification, it can reduce risk and investing globally across a range of countries, sectors and investment styles is, of course, a way to do this. It would essentially mean that you're less exposed to the fate of a single country's economy. JP, I'd actually be interested to hear from your perspective about the effects of home bias, particularly for a UK investor, and then also the benefits of global diversification. Yeah, good question, Maria. So, so well, in, in our philosophy, we feel that the best way to build a portfolio is to start off with a global diversified portfolio, especially if you invest for the long term. Uh, we know that crisis will come and go, and they will come and go at different moments at different parts of the world. So we've seen the Eurozone crisis, the US debt crisis, an earthquake in Japan, Brexit, etc. So we think that if you have a carefully selected portfolio, where there is sufficient diversification, so across the different assets, and you consciously choose what unique exposures you add in that portfolio, you stand the best chance of preparing your investment portfolio for yeah, the many futures uh, that portfolio will face. That's also one of the reasons why if we tilt in our portfolios, and that's our tactical asset location, we do this with humility. So in a sense, we respect the SEA, so the strategic asset allocation, we respect the portfolio profile, and thereby avoiding dominant views, either long-term and nor short-term. Absolutely. So look, it seems like investing in the familiar, such as in companies we know, or, or those that are close in proximity to us, can feel like the right thing to do. But as we've just discussed, it might not actually be the right thing to do. But Maya, have you got any kind of final thoughts for us to share? Yeah, thanks, Mel. So while investors will naturally con continue to seek the familiar, as we have touched on today, there are, of course, benefits to embracing what's unfamiliar. Thinking about our multi-asset portfolios, they help to overcome familiarity and potentially home biases by ensuring a client's portfolio is well diversified, as JP has touched on today, and also tailored to their financial and emotional needs. But of course, there will be listeners who hold investments outside of those managed by Barclays or don't invest with Barclays. So now could be a really good opportunity for them to assess their investments holistically and ensure they're not being limited by this desire for familiarity. Understood some fantastic points there. And as you said, Maya, it's not uncommon for investors to also manage significant proportions of their wealth separate to what is perhaps being managed by or invested using the services here at Barclays. Hence why it's important to, you know, take a bit of a step back, take stock and reflect on where such investments might be doing more harm than maybe good and really think about that bigger picture. So Thanks to you both for your time. Much appreciated as usual. We'll wrap it up there. Enjoy the weekend and hopefully some fantastic weather, at least what it looks like it will be down here in London. And speak next week.
All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.